data engineering brief. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Data Engineering Brief, or the brief for short. My name is Igor Masyagin, and I'm a data platform engineer at Klarna. And I am Pasha, developer advocate for data engineering at JetBrains. And today, as always, we have several hot topics, five lightning news, and one interesting discussion. Stay with us. And the first hot topic is Apache Pulsar uh, version 2.8.2 is released. It's not a, some big release. Again, it's something uh, regarding Log4j updates and uh, native updates and so on. But I think this is a nice possibility to discuss what is Apache Pulsar and why the world needs it. I believe that Pulsar will replace Kafka in some foreseeable future because Pulsar has very interesting technology behind it called Bookkeeper, Apache Bookkeeper. Of course, all the Apache top-level projects because, you know, they, they just are friends with the whole Apache. Apache Log4j, Apache Bookkeeper, Apache Pulsar, Apache Kaya, and so on. Yeah, uh, basically it does the same as Kafka, but for, for example, its throughput can be higher in some setups. You can look uh, benchmarks at Pulsar sites. They also have clients for .NET, Go, uh, Node.js, Ruby, and Java, of course. Uh, they have lots of connectors, and they're growing very fast. It looks like they're not such popular as Kafka because they don't have confluent behind them. Actually, it looks like they just don't have this big marketing. What do you think, Igor? I think it's uh, early to say that it will replace Kafka, and uh, so far I never heard anyone using that in production. Yeah, but actually, actually, I I believe it's quite big. Do you know that DataStax by uh, Pod Pulsar? No. Now this is thing by DataStax because they want to have a reliable event platform in their SaaS services. They have Cassandra. It's on-premise solution, only on-premise columnar solution. They have AstraDB, which is like Cassandra SaaS, but definitely it's not enough to have all-encompassing data engineering platform. They need to, to have something for streaming. And Apache Pulsar solves it. So I believe at least, at least, DataStax is a huge player. Like, they know what they do. Have you tried it in action? The no, I didn't. Uh, honestly, I didn't. I tried uh, to play to play with uh, Apache Bookkeeper a bit, and Apache Bookkeeper is is an interesting thing. It's almost like Calcit to SQL, but for storage of um, sequential messages. You can build your own system on top of Apache Bookkeeper, and it will be by design more or less reliable and performant. It's very interesting because uh, for I think that it's better to use already existing solution and build on top of it than in the in the inventory wheel yourself. Yeah, so we have, we have Kafka. Let's use that one. Uh, but we can't use its storage. By the way, they can't use their storage too because they, they can't even implement uh, tiered storage still. It, it had to be implemented in 3.0 version. Then it was delayed and now it's delayed again, I believe. So it looks like their storage is not that good as could be. Okay, so your prediction is that in a year nobody will be talking about Kafka and everyone will use the Pulsar? No, I don't believe, but maybe in five years. In five years. My, my, maybe five years, that's a lot. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe I will die, so no, nobody will ask me why, why did, did I make this error. I mean, the, the Pulsar itself is like six years old, right? The project. Uh, something like that, I'm not sure. I didn't check its uh, birthday, but if you say so, then it's so. And what's Kafka? I think it's like 12, maybe a bit... A bit more, a bit less. Oh, okay. So six years. Let it live to its uh, 18th year and then die and uh, give it away to younger Pulsar. Yeah, but six years ago, Kafka was already big. So. Yeah, it was. But uh, there were no confluent behind it uh, six years ago. Now there is confluent and who likes these big, big corporations? Nobody likes. But um, yeah. am, I, am I the one who just uh, thought that Pulsar is, is bought by uh, Datastax and Datastax is kind of huge? You also work in a big corporation. No, no, it's, it's, kinda, it's very small. No, it's I believe different. we have less of them than 2,000 people. Oh, okay. Klarna is bigger, I, be I believe. Am I right? Yeah, depending on wh who do you count as a part of the team. As if you count just the data engineering, then it's rather small. If you count only data engineering, then it's only 1,000 people. Yeah, if you ca count data engineering in JetBrains, it will be four people, actually. Four people? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, one of them is you, or no? I'm not. You? I'm not. I'm just developer advocate. I, I I'm trying to help them sometimes, but usually I don't. Also, we have some analysts, and we have lots of uh, data scientists of all kinds, like five. <laughs> right? No, 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 multiple, <laughs> multiple, like I believe. 50 to 200. Anyway, let's. Uh, someone should use Pulsar, probably. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, if you ever heard about someone using it in production, we would like to hear from you and uh, to just. And if you are using it in production, let us know. We are very interested in your experience. Let's move on to the next topic. And the next topic is Apache Kailin. What is Apache Kailin? Apache Kailin, it's a tool that calls itself Extreme OLAP engine for big data. And they promise to deliver fast analytics on large data sets and uh, do that using your existing data infrastructure. That's at least what they promise. There are three main versions. And uh, the latest one was released maybe half a year ago. But the idea is that they bring this uh, analytic engine back to your data. And they've been around since 2015, so a couple of years older than Pulsar. <laughs> they like Parquet as their main uh, source of uh, data, but uh, they have a web interface for all the data steps that you need to analyze the data, and they have official Python client with Pandas support. What is data steps? Is, uh, is it uh, like step functions in AWS? No, I think that's the way you define your data manipulations to get to the end result uh, with the end data mart. Oh, so this is the main difference between them and, I don't know, Druid or something like that, because you can define pipelines right inside the system, right? As I understand, yes, there is like an interactive way to, to do that. And uh, they claim to be very reliable and very responsive and high concurrent. Do they support SQL? In some way, yes, uh, you can have SQL based on uh, Hadoop or Spark, basically, and some uh, standard SQL functions that you can use to query your data. I can see that they support 
Alexa and CSQL, which is kind of big via ODBC, JDBC, or RESTful API. I don't know what is RESTful API for SQL. Maybe you <laughs> you just post, uh, I don't know, like SQL query over the HTTP and they return results in a in a JSON. No idea. Maybe. Yeah, at least I would assume they support that's on CSQL. They support on CSQL, but but here it's not that different from uh, from those Druid or ClickHouse. They support some subset of SQL too, and usually it's enough. Uh, this subset is big enough for you to use. They, they almost always have joins, window functions, uh, common table expressions, and what else do we need? So this thing about bring back analytics to data, I believe it's all, it's all about all these different databases, ClickHouse, uh, and Greenplum, Redshift, you name it. Nothing new here, and data steps sounds interesting. Did you have a chance to look at them? Nope. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, screenshots, anything? Well, I just read the do documentation and uh, I never heard about Kailin and uh, this actually, we discussed it uh, earlier, that it's one of the reasons why we do that, that we learn a lot of interesting tools when we prepare for these episodes. And it sounds like something that is actually stable and uh, would be fun to play around. At least established. Yeah, they have a lot of uh, Chinese companies using them. Yeah, and eBay is huge and they definitely know what they want and uh, they have power to and authority to create such tools maybe it's something worth a try at least yes so the idea is that you use it to enable the use for example of tableau with your hadoop and it has a lot of other extensions to for security access level control and some hue for example or metadata uh, storage. By the way, they, they promise that you can cure quite a complex architecture like uh, Star or Snowflake schema on Hadoop, which is, which is interesting because as far as I know, there were problems with uh, setting up Greenplum to work with uh, Anchor architecture, for example, because it just couldn't handle this uh, enormous amount of joins. Maybe Apache Kalin solved this issue. By the way, this is where it's different from ClickHouse. ClickHouse is not made to for joints at all. It can make joints for you, but if you need them, maybe it's not the best solution. Yeah, I would say that uh, Kailin, in my understanding, it works more like, uh, for example, Ambari, which we will talk a bit <laughs> later about, but uh, that when you set it up, you set up a lot of tools, like you, you need Kafka, you set up Spark, Zookeeper, Hadoop, Hive, and on top of that, you have Kailin. That sort of works as uh, you have like a name node, date, data node there, and uh, it interacts with them all together. Yeah, it works on top of Hadoop, and it may be major downside for you because the next uh, thing is Ambari is actually killed by Apache Software Foundation. Uh, officially, it's moved to Attic, and it's the graveyard for uh, Apache projects. It me it means that nobody supports this project anymore, and it means for me it's kind of sad thing because it means that there is no more free and available Hadoop distributions. We have lost Hortonworks some, some time ago, but still we could uh, set up uh, Hadoop for ourselves with help of Ambari. You just set, uh, set up Ambari manager and then you, you're trying to call it to install everything needed on all your nodes for day, your HDFS, your Spark, your Kafka, your Zookeeper. 
you name it. Now there, there are no such tools anymore. Well, actually, maybe Kailin is a, <laughs> is a way to go because it installs all the things for that. But do they have something for installation? Well, they have a Docker Compose or even the, just a single Docker container that runs all the things. But it's a, it's a one, one machine. Yes, some would say that it's not production ready if it can be deployed automatically on multiple machines or maybe in Kubernetes these days. I'm not sure. So yeah, actually there is one solution. It's called Arena Data Manager. It's uh, built by a company called Arena the data, but their free solution, for example, doesn't allow you to set up two name nodes uh, in your Hadoop cluster. And obviously, with, without two name nodes, you have single point of failure. If your name node dies, you don't have anything anymore. You don't have HDFS. It means that Kailin won't work for you too. So yeah, it's for me, it's really sad news because in some way, I loved Hadoop. Now you have only two options. You can buy Hadoop from Cloudera, or you can have a Hadoop installation from major cloud vendor like AWS with the EMR, Google with the, the Dataproc, and I forgot how is this thing called in Azure, but they have Hadoop for you too. And of course, they decide what version of what software you will have. For example, in Azure, you can't have Flink, as well as uh, in Google, actually, because they have their own streaming solutions and they don't want to, uh, they don't want a competition between their streaming solutions and Flink. So yeah, sad news, but let's move to the next thing. No, actually, I just wanted to continue on this a little bit. That, okay. Uh, I heard an interesting idea that maybe it doesn't really matter that uh, it's in the attic because it can take uh, like 10 more years until people stop using it. Yeah, but yeah, uh, it has no development. It means, automatically means, that it won't support uh, new Java versions. And maybe one day people will decide to migrate to Java 11 or to, to Java 17. I don't know. Um, <laughs> That's like 10 years from now. Uh, so anyway. sure, but what's more important, they won't get security updates. If something like Log4j will happen again, you just w just don't want to have such thing as in your enterprise with critical security vulnerability and nobody will fix it for you. Of course, you can fi fix it yourself, but supporting your own fork of Apache Ambari sounds more or less challenging. IEMA can, can afford uh, smaller companies. I believe they don't. Let's move to another Apache project. <laughs> this uh, episode is <laughs> not sponsored by Apache, but <laughs> we have a lot of uh, Apache tools and Apaches everywhere. So they, this is a tool called Apache Hope. They just uh, graduated a top-level Apache project, and they are quite um, optimistic about the use. They claim that they are the future of data integration, or at least they aim to be the future of data integration, and they want to be a single place for your orchestration scheduling and all the um, metadata related things. They feature some visual development and they're designed as with Java, write once, or I guess drag with your mouse once and run anywhere, your workflow and pipelines. Again, it's kind of impressive thing and uh, they also have a very nice level of self-irony. Uh, self One of the recent uh, 
YouTube videos on the channel that uh, this project has called Apache Hop Sucks, where they discuss why it might be the case and why people are using it not correctly. On the other hand, it means that they definitely know that there is some place, there is some area of growth for Apache Hope. It's not perfect just yet. They also have their own uh, native engine to run all the workflows and pipelines, or they can use uh, external engine like Spark, Flink, or Google Dataflow. It's because they are built on top of Apache Beam, which yeah. can run on top of Spark, Flink, or Dataflow inside. So basically, one can argue that it's a visual interface for Apache Beam. Yeah, but they have metadata management and it's quite an interesting thing i can't even imagine how it looks visually but so sounds very interesting to me yeah so i would say it's a good probably a good solution for basic data validation and uh, maybe data profiling when you want to just uh, take a look at uh, stuff from your warehouse on from different uh, sources do you want to move to the next topic yes please let's do I knew one person who was constantly saying that Airflow would be perfect if it would be written in Java. Now we have something like Airflow in Java. It's called Dolphin Scheduler. Again, it's Apache project, dolphinscheduler.apache.org. And interesting thing, it's it has visual interface from the very start, from the very beginning. You can orchestrate your things visually if you want. I'm not even sure that you have any other options, to be honest. It looks extremely similar similar to the visual interface of Apache Airflow, actually. Yeah, but, but I, I believe they have management, uh, management inside. Like, you, you can create new flow. Well, uh. maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong again. It's a tool which we found uh, two weeks ago. And just if you, if you are a fan of Java and you hate Python, I don't know why, because Python, Python is awesome. Maybe you will be interesting uh, to try Dolphin Scheduler. At least it, it, it has one bonus. It doesn't have Celery inside. Celery has a lot of known drawbacks. And of course, you can fire in your foot uh, with Celery even if it's underneath your underflow. Dolphin Scheduler works, works on top of something else, I, I don't know, So another queue. It may be really better in, in, in some way, but of course it's not that established. It's um, version two was released like a couple of months ago and they already have patch releases like 2.0.3, so they have something to fix. I'm not sure if it's a well-established project, but you may want to try it if you like Java and don't like Celery. Yeah, probably it has more reliable scheduler and uh, the architecture is more decent to scale in the modern environment. Yeah, but on the other hand, they depend on Zookeeper. <laughs> okay. But yeah, they can run Flink Shell and so they, they, that's very interesting. Their potential that looks very high, extremely high, comparable to Airflow. Yeah, it looks like it's quite recent, so maybe three years or something. Yeah, that's a very new project. So let's move to our lightning news. Speaking of weird projects written in uh, weird languages, <laughs> there is uh, Arrow RS, which is a Rust port of Apache Arrow, and it's uh, releasing versions like crazy. Once a month, they release a new major version, and uh, if you're a fan of Rust or if you, for some reason, want to take a look at a rapidly growing open source project, now is your chance. <laughs> Go to arrowapache.org and try to find the Rust implementation there or GitHub Arrow-RS. 
this is the way to go. On the other hand, popular products uh, make re new releases too. For example, both well-known Delta Lakes, Iceberg and Hoodie have been released in this month. It's Iceberg 0.30.0 and uh, Hoodie 0.10.1. They look very alive, very much alive. HBase released a new version. It's actually last year and uh, they are quite happy about this and uh, at least they say in the release notes that the HBase team is happy that they made it available. I don't see any particular interest in big changes but I guess uh, it's good to know that the project is still developed. Speaking of things we didn't hear about, Incubator C-Tunnel is, re is released. It's version 1.5.7. I had a quick glance at, at its documentation. It's half in Chinese, but that's fine. I'm very good in Chinese. Just kidding. It's like R-Sync for your different clouds. If you want to synchronize data from your Google Cloud Storage to your Amazon, uh, C-Tunnel can suit your needs. On the other hand, there are almost no connectors. I believe they have something like eight connectors and that's all. And by the way, they don't have connector to Google. So my example was completely made up. Still, it's very interesting technology when you need to synchronize your data. I believe that writing connector between different things Maybe quite a simple task. A new release by ORC, once again, they uh, keep releasing new versions. Uh, it's reduced memory usage and some updates to C++ printings. Nothing to tell more about it. Uh, it's still alive, again, it's still alive. Hortonworks is dead, ORC is somehow alive. Long live ORC. Long live ORC, indeed. We already decided not to speak about Beam, but Apache Beam is released again. It's version 2.35.0. They have new features there. Please, if you, you if you use Apache Beam on-premises or in cloud, check out the feature list. Maybe there is something interesting for you. Yes, and uh, Apache Airflow released a new version again last year, but at the end, next to Christmas, 2.2.3, with a lot of uh, minor updates. And uh, I know at least a few people personally who said that finally they fixed a few things that they were really struggling with uh, uh, in a previous version. So check them out, check the changelog, and probably you might find uh, the reason for updating to it. And that's all with Lightning News, and let's move to our discussion. And today we want to discuss data sec ops. But I think again, as always, we should discuss what is data sec ops. What is data? What is sec? Who am I? What is this podcast? Stuff like that. Yeah, I believe that data sec ops is DevOps and uh, any other ops thing, opsy things. Do you believe that data ops is also DevOps? It's also sec ops and tra transitively it's uh, DevOps because it's again about communication with the different people and movie shifting uh, security to the left. Why we call it to the left, by the way? Because we think, we believe that time moves from left to right. And uh, yeah, you should think about security from the very beginning of creation of your pipeline, your architecture and so on. And it should not be some specific person like security, I don't know, officer in your company who will find your security bugs after you. Of course, maybe they will find, but at least you, you should you should try to think 
about security always yeah but uh, i mean the security officer is still a good thing to have in your company absolutely data security operations what that about is that uh, something when you secure your data so nobody can access it or is it anything else i love your mindset it's all very bank bank like mindset uh, let's remove access from anybody to anything. No, but I mean, that's the general idea of all the security practices. You just uh, don't give people any way to run any code and then your system is secure. Like that idea of using rootless Docker images and everything. Yeah, absolutely. The best solution is solution without code. But actually, I think that usually we it's better to believe that people intend to do good things, even if they sometimes don't. It's always about your model of threats. R r risk model, I guess, the proper term. Yeah, it's called, I believe it's called a threat model in the security, obscure security yeah. circles. But yeah, of course, it's about risk model eventually. And they, although security folks, created several interesting things at, uh, at which you should look. They are described in Avasp. Is it correct to, way to pronounce it? Avasp? Yes, I would say so, that Avasp is a correct pronunciation for that. Yeah, okay, anyways, it will be in show notes. So if we pronounce it incorrectly, you can uh, fix us. Uh, Avasp is generally a good thing. They describe... Uh, security practices for very different things security for backend security for uh, front-end security for data because because why not uh, also they have of course they have this top 10 wasp which uh, includes uh, things like sql injection which is kind of i think that if your data engineer doesn't know that uh, such thing as SQL injection exists, it's very easy to th for them to make this mistake, to allow SQL injection in into your code, just interpolate some string coming from user inside uh, your SQL query. And that's all. Uh, this user has all the data they need. Not always the case, but um, generally speaking, you can, like when we talk about injections, we always think about SQL injections, but there are other ways to do that. Like, for example, log injections. Yeah, something like that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, log for J injections, log for yes. injections. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Generally speaking, the OWASP stands for the Open Web Application Security Project. And it's not really that data centric, but again, since usually what you protect is data, you can just uh, glance over the main points they have and uh, the main ideas and apply to your data lake house. And that would definitely make it more secure, even though it's not technically not related to just data stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But speaking of disallowing access to some data, Usually we have to do something like data anonymization in, and it's usually on the on the shoulders of data engineers because they need to invent uh, techniques, mechanics, how they will anonymize their data. It's not always a simple task because just imagine you have 500 terabytes of data, 5,000 terabytes of data, which is five petabytes of data in your S3 storage. You just can't, I don't know, copy all this data, but in an anonymized way. You should do something uh, fancy on the fly. You should read some part of data, anonymize it, and then give it to user in an anonymized way. It's kind, kind of complex task to implement. I know that Winged Brains have such a problem, 
And we have some homegrown solution. We have specific functions which are aware of data model. They know what should be anonymized. They know who are users and if data should be anonymized when it's shown to these users. It's kind of complex thing for data engineers. It's an extremely complex thing. Do you have something like that in Klarna, if you can speak about it? Yeah, I'm not sure I can. But uh, I mean, the, usually the case that we don't uh, allow people who don't have access to proper proper data to access it, and that's how. Yeah, in any way, like you don't anonymize anything, you just disallow access. Yeah, you, we, we try to build our models in such a way that it's that doesn't really necessary to know that uh, personal details or anything. You know the story when uh, there was some information leak, and. Uh, they will know anything about persons, people themselves. They were just some abstract actions of these people. Other people just interpolated and found some patterns of actions without any sensible information on concrete person they found this person. It's very hard to estimate properly what can be extracted from the data so it's uh, usually if you can it's better to just disallow the access altogether and there are a lot of uh, weird rules and uh, everyone knows about GDPR, but for example, there are other more strict standards that sometimes overrule GDPR. And even if someone is claiming that, please remove my data, there might be some other protocols or restrictions that uh, prohibiting you from doing that. So it's very hard to do that things right. And uh, that's uh, at least uh, some sort of um, justification why you need a specific separate uh, set of practices for that. But question arises, what if you want to test our code? We should test our code uh, against something at least realistic. Yeah. How can we do it without any data? I have actually no clear answer to that. I don't think there is any clear answer like that you just do that, for example, and it will go for all the cases. But uh, probably I would say that if you have some sort of uh, data generation techniques, then it's uh, at least if it gets leaked, you will someone will figure out that, well, this is a generated person number seven or something. Yeah, it's actually a synthetic data approach. There are several companies who build such solutions. One I'm aware of is called Synthesized. They can generate your data by very different criteria, like uh, they can look at your data and uh, generate something sim uh, similar but completely synthetic. But they try hard to keep all distributions the same, for example. And they can look at your SQL query and generate data, which is necessary to test this SQL query. They know all the equivalence classes in, in, inside this SQL query and can generate data accordingly. By the way, speaking of distributions, we have a point written here called uh, data deviasing, and it's a very interesting thing, right? Yeah, in general, all these uh, machine learning algorithms, especially the ones that used in uh, law and um, some other branches, uh, they sometimes have requirement that the algorithm must be, uh, it must be possible to explain how that works. And uh, that again, sort of, limits the way of the way you choose the algorithm and the way you describe it and there are tools like uh, 
or initiatives for making machine learning more ethical and specific organizations that do that. And devising is a very big uh, issue that some, uh, some, for example, I know that uh, in a lot of European countries, you are not allowed to take into account some of the parameters of the person when you assess uh, their credit score, for example. And uh, that's something that's like, uh, there is a law about doing that and uh, you need to be sure that your data is not uh, biased in any way especially in those sort of sensitive places. Yeah, ethical ML is kind of huge right now and it's huge for last several years. There were several big scandals, big dramas for example when Twitter preferred uh, white-skinned people to dark-skinned people, when it cropped uh, images to create um, thumbnails and uh, there were a lot more for example of course, but I have a very interesting question. Is there such a thing like unbiased data? I believe that maybe there is a data which is biased as the same as your, I don't know, community biased. Like if you have more women than than men in, in your community, then of course data will be biased towards women. Yeah, that's part of the issue why this organizations exist and what what are they trying to achieve is to find out this uh, particular skews in your data and uh, then try to correct the algorithm so it can potentially change the way we perceive ourselves and uh, the way we, we work so there is a specific reason why do we discuss it inside data secops because actually it is about your company's security when you create pipelines for data, you should think about the potential data bias too. Because usually you are responsible for what's going partially, of course, responsible for what's going on in your company. And it's something we should shift to, to the left too, probably. Of course, you should decide for yourself, your company should decide if they're interested or not. Maybe you you will have, I don't know, separate team of people who will try to debase your data. But maybe it's uh, just a part of pipeline. And you, you as data engineer, you are maybe responsible for building such pipelines. I would say that if, you, if we say that security is something that everyone should care about from from the individual contributor point of view, then something like debiasing or at least uh, trying to figure out if there is a bias and raising that question so it can be addressed, uh, maybe not the same team, but in more coordinated effort, then it's uh, also a good idea. Yeah. So let's summarize what do we have inside DataSecOps right now. We have AWASP, which is just a set of uh, useful practices for security. Oh, we have data anonymization, which is important and very interesting topic because there is no single correct solution. You should find correct solution for your situation yourself. And there is data devising, which is maybe not completely about security, but it's somehow related and maybe we are responsible. Maybe we should think about our responsibility for data devising too. Yeah, there was also a class of tools that uh, act as sort of, you can say, a tool in the middle, man in the middle, that you just set it up as a like profiling uh, device that just monitors the query that your users are using. And then uh, if you work at a company that is care, care that is 
trying to assess if everyone is accessing the data they should be accessing and not trying to do anything funky. It might be a good idea to look at those set of tools, but there's not not many of those yet, but it's a growing field. Do you have some, something concrete in mind right now? I know only one of those. Uh, it's called Satori, and uh, I can't really say much about that, but uh, they just uh, really showcase that they work with data sec ops and that's their bread and butter satori data engineering in google i think it will open the gates to the data paradise and for secure data paradise for you yeah i think it's pretty pretty much all we have to say on data sec ops thank you very much and briefing is over see you see you